0: Hey, it's Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic with Ira Schofel from WarChant.com, managing editor. Uh, Big week for us, Ira. Miami and Florida State uh, getting back together in Tallahassee. I like the fact that the records for both teams are are improved, considering (laughs) what we've kind of gone through the last few years, buddy. Uh, The Seminoles are playing great. Uh, Number four in the country. Uh, on their way to potentially a college football playoff, Miami is six and three, coming off a bad loss. They got all kinds of issues, but hey, we're in a much better spot in this rivalry than we have been, right?
1: Yeah, man. The last few years, I was it was bringing me back to those years where they got to play on Labor Day and nobody knew they weren't good, <laughs> right? And it, you could you could kind of fake it till till people found out later. Oh, those teams actually were that 10-7 game really was two pretty bad football teams.
0: You and I have watched a lot of these games over the years, and we've seen these programs go through head coaches. Uh, me, especially at Miami, it feels like it's been a, a never-ending revolving door. But the feeling was that Mario Cristobal was going to come in and fix things. And going into this game, he's eleven and ten overall. Seminoles are heavily favored to win this game. Meanwhile, on the other sideline, I go back and I look at Mike Norvell, and I think, man, when this rivalry started, <laughs> things were not going well for him. They were three and six, then five and seven. But it felt like the turning point for him really was that win against Miami in Tallahassee a couple years ago. Do
1: you agree or disagree? It was a big one without question. I mean, again, you think back to that 2020 game down there. Oh my gosh. Yes. You you (laughs) couldn't have, it felt like they were, you know, completely different hemispheres. You know, Miami felt like, okay, they are on their way now. De'Ara King's killing it, at quarterback, and, man, he's got it going on. And it felt like, okay – I don't know. That's the way it felt from the outside. I don't know if yeah. you thought that they were. Um, but, man, that was like – it could not have been less evenly matched teams. Um, and then, like you said, you know, Florida State wins the game the next year kind of in a miracle fashion to some degree. They yep. um, get hit the fourth and 14, and then they uh, – first they had a wheel route down the sideline to to get in the scoring position, then hit the fourth and 14 to win the game. In a game that they probably didn't have a business winning, um, and then last year was completely the opposite, where you know, yep. you know, uh, Miami's quarterback gets hurt, he's not really available, and and, and it's not even competitive. So it's just been a crazy last few years. Um, this is probably, I mean, I know the point spreads, like you, you know, you said fifteen points, but it's probably the best footing back to your original point, the best footing that the two teams have been on in in a while.
0: Yeah, and and really, it feels like for Miami. You know, I think everybody's sort of looking at this like, okay, they got no chance into this going into this game the way Tyler Van Dyke's been playing, you know, five touchdowns, 10 interceptions in his last four starts. Uh, You know, no touchdowns, five picks ever since he he basically took that huge blow uh, at North Carolina when he threw the touchdown pass. He just doesn't look like the same dude. And and so, you know, everybody's wondering, is Tyler Van Dyke going to start? Are they going to go with the freshman Emory Williams? I spoke to someone earlier today. I think the feeling is Tyler Van Dyke. I think I, I saw Mike Norvell's interview. They're sort of preparing for Tyler Van Dyke as well. It only makes sense. You don't throw a true freshman on the road against the number four team in the country.
1: Yeah, you know, Corey, who I work with, we we were we were sitting at in Florida State's press conference on Monday, and he started to say there's no way you could play and he and he was gonna say the freshman. And I I finished it for him and I was like, Tyler Van Dyke. I was like, there's no way you could put him back out there again after this past Saturday. But his point was the exact opposite. Like you said, I mean, you can't ask a freshman to go play in this game. Um, so I get that. But also like, you also have a responsibility to the other 21 guys on the team and with the guys on the field and the, you know, obviously the rest of the team that, you know, if your quarterback is constantly putting them positions to lose, that's going to be a problem. Um, so but, yeah, I mean, I guess that that's – certainly that's the way Florida State's expecting. They're expecting to see Tyler Van Dyke. Um, I, you know, I don't know, man. Is there a wildcat option? Is there somebody <laughs> – I, I just – you know what I'm saying? like, Because Miami yeah. – it, it would be one thing if Miami was not a decent team anywhere else. But, you know, they are a decent team. They've got good running backs. They've got a good defense. Um, you know, they've played well at different times. And it's like, you know, you just can't get yourself beat a quarterback. Um, but it I guess let me ask you this. you know, you've been around Tyler Van Dyke for the last three years. What do you think he can spin his way out of this at this point? It's
0: it's a it's a great question, Ira. I, I really don't know. I've never seen him in this sort of a funk before where um you just look at him reading the field and he and he doesn't look comfortable, right? He doesn't look like what he's seeing on the defensive end is giving him any confidence. He's, he's, you know, just, it's kind of like a pitcher, right? Who gets the yips. It's kind of the same thing right now where he's hesitating. And obviously, look, uh, there, these these last couple of opponents haven't been the first ones to, th- you know, rush three and drop eight against them. He's seen these kind of defenses before, but for whatever reason, he just hasn't been able to sort of snap out of it. Like I said, since he, he took those big hits at North Carolina, one to the knee on a run out of bounds and the other one while he was throwing a touchdown pass right in the ribs. He just looks like a different guy. So uh, I hope for Miami's sake and for our sake that we get a, a decent football game on Saturday. So I'm hoping Tyler snaps out of it. But I think a lot of this, and I said this on my podcast this week, I think a lot of this has to go with the offensive coordinator as well. Shannon Dawson had things rolling through the first four games of the season, and it seems like his very simplistic air raid offense, which, by the way, doesn't really have a tight end involved whatsoever. When was the last time you would ever think that Miami's tight ends
1: are so hey, scarcely involved? Florida State fans are happy to hear that, buddy. Yeah, but... Uh, they spent years whining about Mickey Andrews not uh, covering the tight ends.
0: <laughs> but that's the way it's been. And and uh, I think going into the last game, they had nine catches combined. Cam McCormick is really a blocking tight end, a, a, a seventh-year, eighth-year guy out of Oregon who's, who's had injuries throughout his career. He's he's kind of just a blocker. Riley Williams, a talented freshman, really not involved much at all in the offense. He's playing. He's just not getting any passes on his way. So to me, there's things that... Shannon Dawson can do to make life easier on Tyler Van Dyke. And I don't see them making that adjustment. They didn't do it against NC state other than play true freshman, Mark Fletcher, a whole lot at running back. And they, and they gave him the ball and they let him pound it. So that's really the only wrinkle I've seen uh, where they kind of went heavy with, with the big, big running back now that he's healthy uh, and just let him sort of pound away. So I'm very interested to see what the countermeasures are this week. I think Miami's receiver talent is okay. I don't think it's great. But if you can mix in the tight end, get Riley Williams to catch some balls, throw, you know, get Mark Fletcher, uh, I don't know, run a halfback screen, do something different where Florida State hasn't really seen that on film yet. And maybe you catch them in in a surprise.
1: Yeah, a lot of people, you know, I mean, the old saying is fatigue makes a coward of us all. Mm -hmm. Pain pain also can. I mean, how much of it is you think Tyler doesn't feel good? Like, I mean, you mentioned those hits. I mean, how much do you think that's a concern? I mean, do you think that's affecting his well, decision making and his and his just his overall comfort level? He,
0: yeah, I think overall, I think he's just he's just not he's not one hundred percent right, like physically and mentally. I think both both of those areas. And uh, you know, look, when your coach doesn't sort of back you up and say you are still the starter, right? It kind of you know, and I and I get it as a head coach, you got to try to get you know get get your guy to wake up. But this is the first time in Tyler's career that any coach at Miami's basically said he's not the dude ever since he became the dude so uh I, I it's interesting i'm interested to see how he responds to see if he responds positively to it but again none of that psycho stuff is going to work unless he's running something different and i think this miami yeah. offense has to make adjustments this week they got to get other people involved and, and and show something different than they have
1: yeah florida state's defense um you know when you look at the matchups you know and i earlier this year man i saw like so Colby Young, I mean, I saw him make some plays down the field, and um obviously Restrepo's super productive and kind of the focus um but I feel like you know that they've got some weapons, but like your to your point, i mean it's it's almost like there's there's some predictability about it' there's not um uh, not a lot of imagination maybe yeah. um and Florida State's defense, you know, they've been good like they what they haven't done really until last week last week against Pittsburgh, they gave up one busted play. It kind of worked out for him. The kid ends up stripping the the pit receivers. He's going into the end zone, so yep. they end up not giving up points. But there's one or two busted plays in that game. For most of the season, they've done a good job of not having but you know blown assignments, not giving up free passes, um, and kind of keeping things in front of them, rallying to the football. You know they do a pretty good job of not giving up a 50 yard run. You know they'll keep a, even if a running back gets a hole, maybe they'll keep it to 12 or 10, 15 yards. Um, you know, so I, from that standpoint, I don't feel like Florida State's defense is going to beat themselves. Has Miami ha- – I was wondering, like, has Miami had success against a defense that played well, like, and, and didn't give them anything? Uh, well, I even, mean – I guess, you know, when he was playing better, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, against Texas A&M earlier in the year, and, and Texas A&M, you know, their strength pretty much all season has been what they've done on defense, right? Uh, you go back to that game to win when when they – uh they were throwing the ball down the field. Tyler had five touchdown passes. It was a whole lot of man coverage, a whole lot of, you know, bringing pressure and beating, you know, throwing the ball to guys in one-on-one situations and Miami's receivers making plays. Uh, but again, I, I feel like, you know, whatever Shannon Dawson brought with him uh, after game four, it seems like everybody's figured it out. Georgia Tech figured it out. Tyler had three picks in that game. Um, you know, the following week against Clemson with, with Emory Williamson, it was a different game plan. They were basically... Uh, you know, after the North Carolina loss, they were basically running the ball with Emory. And then the last two weeks, I mean, even Virginia, it was it was very similar, you know, just sort of drop back. Uh, don't let their receivers, don't let, you know, uh Xavier Restrepo, don't let Colby Young beat you down the field, uh, keep everything in front and Tyler's gonna make mistakes in zone cut co- with zone coverage. So again so is, uh,
1: is he is he forcing things or are people jumping stuff or I,
0: I think there's times when he's forced things. The interception at NC State in the first half, just a bad read. Uh, If he throws the ball to the back pylon instead of, you know, in where he thought maybe his receiver was cutting, uh, that's probably a touchdown and not an interception. And then the other two, I think, were just, you know, desperation, force, like, you know, hey, we're trying to get things down the field. We're trying to make something happen. Uh, There's been guys underneath that have been open. He could check the ball down. The problem is his tight ends are just not reliable either. They've dropped balls for him. So it's been one of those, again, when Miami was four and zero, and we were all talking about, "Hey, how come the tight end is involved? Hey, how come the running backs aren't catching the bottom of the backfield?" Nobody cared because they were four and zero and they were scoring points. <laughs> right. But we were all—I mean, me and the uh, Carlos Ledo, who, who who does the the Wide Right podcast with me—we, we, you know, he's a, he's an ex quarterback at Miami High. He was an offensive coordinator for a little while in high school coaching wise. So he knows the game and he was telling me he's like, this is going to come back to bite Miami in the ass. They're just throwing the ball too much to the wide receivers. And defenses are going to figure out, well, if, if all we got to do is cover Xavier strepo and Colby Young and Jacoby George, uh, we don't need to worry about, you know, what what the running backs and tight ends do because they're just not involved at all. So it's it, it seems again, it, it, I don't want to put it all on on Shannon Dawson, but certainly I think, you know, you can't just sit here and point the finger at Tyler Van Dyke and say, well, he's to blame. He's he's the guy throwing the ball. I think part of this is the way you approach a game, the way you game plan. Uh what is it that you're practicing all week? Uh Tyler did miss uh a week or two of practice because he was banged up and recovering. I, I know the Virginia week, I don't think he practiced at all um and then and then this past week um there was you know he was back out there with a brace and the whole thing but um you know banged up and and when you when you're not getting all your reps and you're struggling you're throwing interceptions it's not a good recipe for you
1: man the uh i just think about like the way they've lost a couple of these games i mean they could be what i mean they could be
0: well if if you take away georgia tech that was the most winnable game um you just take a knee Then they're seven and two and, 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 you know, even losing last week, they're probably still ranked at the end of the top 25. And this is a much different game, right? We're not talking about uh, Miami as a team that's sort of falling apart. We're saying, well, they're still seven and two. So North Carolina,
1: North Carolina, did you feel like North Carolina was a better team? In the second half, they
0: certainly were. I think, you know, when you go back and you look at that first half, Miami had opportunities, you know, they sacked Drake may in the end zone, forced the ball out, just didn't, couldn't come up with the fumble. Uh, you know, if 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 uh, Reuben Bain happens to pounce on that ball instead of it skirting away from him, then then, you know, maybe Miami wins that game. But it got away from them in the second half and and North Carolina, you know, went to the hurry up. That was a problem for Miami's defense. They weren't. You know the way that North Carolina ran the ball in the second half. Uh, they just weren't prepared. It looked like they weren't well prepared for it. Uh, the way North Carolina went with it. So, um, you know, was North Carolina necessarily better than Miami? I don't think so. I thought I thought they were very even. You know, Drake May was probably the difference in that game. He he just right. did a better job in the second half than Tyler did. But at that point, Tyler had already been hit really really hard in the ribs. He'd already taken a, a helmet to the knee and. You know, that was sort of the beginning of his struggles in my, in my mind. So uh, they should probably be seven and two uh, NC state. Ultimately, uh, you know, you got to give them their due. They, they did what they had to do on defense to win that game. So, but yeah, I mean, they could very well be eight and one or seven and two right now. And probably should be.
1: Yeah. And that's, what's crazy to me is if there's a feeling, I don't know how it is in Miami, it feels like there's a feeling around this game, especially look at the point spread that, that like, okay, well, Florida state's, Clearly, so much better than Miami in, in the quarterback position for sure. Jordan, yeah, I think Jordan's got two picks all year. And oh yeah, I was you know, looking at the turnover
0: difference. I, I I lined all the I lined the teams up in a bunch of statistical categories here for us to talk about. But uh, you go over to turnovers uh, lost. Miami's ha- has nineteen for the season. They're one hundred and twenty fourth. FSU's only turned it over five times. They're tied wow. for third in the country. <laughs> so that, might,
1: that might explain some differences.
0: Yeah. Wow absolutely they've been sloppy and and really it's it's been interception i mean miami's fumbled the ball a couple of times as well but uh it's it's the errant throws it's the bad decisions
1: yeah that's uh that's crazy yeah
0: that's a huge number right yeah i got a bunch of them i could share with you here but that's that's certainly one that sticks out like a sore thumb um one thing one thing i would i want to ask you before we kind of start breaking the game down maybe a little more is what's the latest with keon coleman and johnny wilson who both obviously didn't play against pitt uh i you know i heard they'd come back to practice i know you asked uh mike norvell today i, I heard your voice in the video uh didn't seem to be wanting to give a, away any info there.
1: <laughs> yeah uh i can't tell you anything manny um <laughs> no nah. yeah i mean you know obviously Nor. it's funny man you every coach is different um and and you know norvell is incredibly accessible mm-hmm. um you know and uh you know, just lets us watch practice for the most part a couple days a week and um is really good to deal with in a lot of ways. But man, injuries is the one thing he is so paranoid about. Yeah. In fact, we there's there was a you know, anyway, there's been situations in the past where like media members, including us, have been suspended from watching practice because we put too much information out there. So it's yeah, it's kind of a weird situation. But um, you know, I mean I my personal theory was, and this isn't based on you know I, you know, any inside information necessarily. I just felt like Keon Coleman just watching the way he walked around just the way he he was carrying himself at the game even I feel like if if they needed him to play against Pitt I think he probably would could have played against Pitt like if I I I feel like if the Miami game was last week then maybe he would have played in the Miami game yeah. um so a week later I mean I I have to think he's going to play I mean that kid okay. is you know, he thinks he's a, you know, he's expecting to be a first round pick and this is a great opportunity to go up against some really good DBs. And um, it's a huge game for Florida state. So if he can play, I think he's going to play. I can't say that I know he's going to be hundred percent or not, um, but I'd be surprised if he doesn't play. And, and then Johnny Wilson has practiced some this week. um, And uh, Mike Dorvel's talked a little bit more about more freely about him. He was hurt a couple weeks earlier. um, And so, you know, I, my guess is that, you know, if I was, if I was Miami, just like Florida State's expecting to see Tyler Van Dyke, if I'm Miami, I'm expecting to see both of those guys. Um, yeah. I, Now it may not happen. You know, if, if you're coming back from an injury and you, you come back out of practice one day and, and it swells up, something swells up or something doesn't feel right, that could change. Um, But the fact that, you know, and the other thing was like, it didn't even feel like last week that. I don't know. I it didn't to, to me. It didn't even feel like they knew for sure they wouldn't even have those guys last week. Right. So I felt like that was kind of more like, you know, Pitt's not going to score more than fourteen points against us. So maybe like get these guys healthy. That's that was my perception. Yeah. Um, but you know, we'll we'll you know, obviously, we'll know for sure on Saturday.
0: Yeah, and, and that's you know, for Miami. On the flip side of it, just so you know, and 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 your uh, you know, readers and subscribers now, Miami lost two of their starting cornerbacks against NC state uh, to injuries in those games, uh, Daryl Porter jr. Who I think has played pretty well for Miami all season long and Jaden Davis, uh, the transfer from Oklahoma, who's, who's also, I think put up some pretty good numbers, you know, according to pro football focus, uh, both of those guys left with injuries. And so you had uh, Damari and Devonte Brown, the Brown brothers, whose father of course played at Miami, Uh, They came in and obviously Miami's I I thought Miami's defense still played well. They only gave up 20 points in that game. And and so uh, but I'm very interested to see what happens against Wilson and Coleman, who are obviously two of the best in the country. Hands down. I, I mean, I watched those guys in person against LSU. I've watched Florida State games this year uh for anybody who just looks at pff scores and and it's it's kind of funny because I've, I've heard people miami people say this they're like oh these guys aren't even ranked that high in pro football focus i'm like mm-hmm. yeah have you watched these dudes play <laughs> man like they're freaking good like keon coleman is a beast and yeah. and and it's gonna it's gonna make a huge difference in this game to have well them.
1: and if you ever had any doubt and i don't know if any florida state fans have had any doubt you know just watch them against Pitt, man. like in the first mm-hmm. quarter or two quarters of that game you're sitting there going Oh man, this is feeling like 2021 again. You know, it's, it's this offense, give Mike Norvell a ton of credit. I think he's an excellent play caller. I think he's got a very good offense. I think it's a modern offense, especially after we watched from Jimbo for all those years, but man, it's a whole lot different if you don't have six, seven out here and six, four over here. Uh, And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an enormous difference. And um, you know, and if they, if they, if those two guys don't play, There's a lot of games. There's a lot of teams that they they could lose to. If those two guys do play, there's not a lot of teams I think that can stop that offense.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And And that was my biggest takeaway from watching FSU beat LSU in person in Orlando. That was my column. I wrote that Keon Coleman essentially makes them a different team, makes them a legitimate national title contender. Just because of what he can do in terms of opening up the offense and and so uh, for the Miami fans who are thinking maybe i maybe I should take miami everybody 's picking f s u to win this game, maybe this is one of those years. I, my general feeling on this game is FSU will probably cover the spread the way Miami's playing offense these days. And I know you and I have been surprised over the years. We've seen some, some mismatches turn into tighter games, but I just feel like my gut tells me going into this week that uh, with Tyler going through everything he's going through. Uh, he would have to have a remarkable performance for Miami to, to 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 be tight in this game in the fourth quarter. I think Florida State probably wins this game easy. I, I don't know if you've done your predictions yet, but do you sort of feel the same way going into this?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I I, I think I'm looking at um, I, I was looking at like 31-14 mm-hmm. um, is kind of what I was thinking. Um, and I, you know, and again, I, I respect Miami's defense, man. I, I was going to ask you about Reuben Bain because I Florida yeah. State was trying to recruit that kid. Yeah, he's I mean, a is beast. he the, is he the best freshman defensive lineman around there in a long time?
0: Yeah, I I would say he's the most complete. You know, the thing about Ruben, you know, and we've seen talented kids come through yeah. both of these programs before, but you know, uh, Ira just as well as I do from doing this for as as long as we have. Just because you have the gifts doesn't mean anything. Do you have the work ethic? Do you have the passion? Are you gonna, you know, are you gonna take on double teams so your teammates? Uh, can get to the quarterback Ruben does all of those things he's the you know an unbelievable teammate uh, he doesn't care if he gets the credit for a sack. He wants. He just wants to dominate. He wants his team to dominate. And so that's what you saw happen last week against NC State. He started seeing double teams, but then that freed up other guys on Miami's uh, defensive line to go make plays. So he is without question one of the best freshmen I've seen at Miami in a long time. He's a complete player. Some people were kind of knocking him a little bit because of his size. It's, well, he's only 6'2", 6'3", 275. That's why he's not a five-star uh, I remember people saying that, and I'm like, dude, have you watched this guy dominate <laughs> at the high school? I mean, Miami Central played an unbelievably tough schedule every single year, and that dude was putting up ridiculous sack numbers and tackles for loss numbers. And you just watch the guy play, and you're like, he is it. Like he is that guy. Uh, and so, to me, yes. Now, is he going to do that against Florida State? I don't. I don't necessarily think so. This is a much better offensive line. Uh, He does face a very similar talented offensive line and practice every single day. So um, but I think, you know, Miami's going to need some other guys uh, in this game to step up. Jaden Wayne, another freshman that they got, has played some. He's another guy that they're really, really high on. It's it's an edge rusher, another freshman that's really, really good. The guy I think who's been sort of a pleasant surprise to me for Miami has been Branson Dean the kid that they got from Purdue, one of their, one of their transfers, uh, he got nicked up for a little bit, missed some time, but whenever he goes in, Branson Dean seems to make a play. Uh, You know, he's a fifth or sixth year guy. Obviously Florida state has a bunch of, you know, older guys as well on the defensive line. You know, the value in that um, watching that position. So, you know Miami's going to do a good job. I, the one thing I will say, and and I wanted to kind of make this more of a big picture conversation at some point too, and we can go back and forth between yeah. the game and and everything. But the one thing I will tell FSU fans about Miami, when I think when we look back at this Miami season, uh, whether it ends six and six or seven and five or eight and four, whatever, it, however it ends, I think two things we're going to come away with. Number one, I think the defense. I think the hire of Lance Goodry was huge for Miami. I think he is the perfect fit for the type of player Miami recruits. I think you're going to be really impressed with the kind of game he calls. I don't ever see whenever Miami has a bad quarter or they're struggling a little bit, the dude makes adjustments immediately and he gets the job done. I think his scheme is the perfect fit for this defense, which is why we've seen real improvement. Um, The other thing I would say uh, we're going to come away with probably is feeling like, okay, in, in the arms race, when you need to find a quarterback, that's a position that Miami even with emery williams even with Jakari brown and tyler van dyke like you're i, I think most of us are going to look at this saying mario needs to get a, a quarterback either through the portal either through recruiting because jordan travis you you think about him and his path right and and he wasn't the starter right away when he got to florida state it took him a little while to get there but yet he's turned into everything mike norvell wants and i think you know for miami we're at the end of the season, we're going to say, man, maybe Tyler Van Dyke just isn't a fit for the kind of offense Mario wants to run. Maybe you need more of a mobile quarterback, a guy like Travis who can make plays with his legs and at least provide a real threat in that regard. And so Mm -hmm. uh, that's, I'm I'm just looking, you know, big picture. That's what I'm sort of coming away with. I want to ask you sort of the same question, uh, but sort of a big picture question for FSU, which is, you know, obviously this is tremendous job by Mike I And I want to, get your thoughts on how you know how it all sort of came together for the Miami fans who are who are sitting here in dismay thinking man we could be 11-11 with Mario after this game but uh i i wanted to ask you sort of a big picture which is after this season um whether florida state wins a national championship or not They've certainly gone the transfer path, and, and it's worked for them, and it's been good for them. They've also recruited well with this next class. How confident are you that this is going to be sustainable in 2024, or is there going to be a drop-off in your mind? And if so, what what are sort of the things that are going to need to be addressed for the Seminoles?
1: Yeah, man, I think that's the question in the back of a lot of Florida State fans' minds, but they're, everybody's just trying to suppress it. Until yeah. so <laughs> you get to that point because it's like because early in the year midway through the year people started having that conversation and I, anytime anybody brought it up to me i'm like man just shut up just don't worry about that <laughs> because enjoy this i mean yes you, after you've been through what you've been through worry about that tomorrow um, yeah you know it's like you take a trip to disney world with the family and you're having a good time it's like hey don't we have this bill come just let's let's just, worry just, about that well, just I'll worry about the when, when it comes it. yeah yeah <laughs> and uh so you know i mean i just think that that's where Florida state is but Yeah, I mean, quarterback's such a big deal. And I know this was – you were talking about quarterback before this question, but I think a lot of that goes together. Mike Norvell, one of the smartest things he did, and it was probably the biggest gamble he could have taken, was going into last year, going into the 2022 season, everybody wanted him to go get a quarterback. Like, even though Jordan had shown some signs late in the 2021 season, got the win against Miami, um, you know, showed some progress – Florida State fans, man, if you had taken a poll, I bet 80 to 90% wanted them to go get a quarterback out of the portal. Um, they didn't feel like Jordan could stay healthy. They weren't sure he'd ever be the passer that they wanted him to be. And Mike Norvell knew that if he went out one year after going to get Mackenzie Milton, if he had gone out again and gotten another transfer quarterback, Jordan Travis would be somewhere else right now. Like he, mm-hmm. there's no way he would have stayed in Tallahassee, in my opinion. He's never said that. Um, But I think Mike Norvell looked at it and said, "You know what? If we can keep developing this guy, and if we can keep him healthy, which means probably running him a lot less, which they have run him a lot less these last two seasons, it's been more out of need than just doing it. um, Then we might have something special here. And it's hard to get a quarterback. It's hard to get a really good quarterback. And so, man, it paid off. I mean, uh, it 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 couldn't. I mean, we all know it paid off. But it but it was a gamble at the time. Um, And so, I think that was a big thing." Um, and, you know, I think they, they did a great job at the end of last season of keeping guys who could have gone elsewhere. They lost, you know, they probably lost 10 to 12 guys to the portal, but most of them were not key players. There was only one or two key players. Um, but the key players, they got to stay through, you know, NIL opportunities and things like that, where you were able to keep Jordan Travis, Jared verse, Trey Benson, Johnny Wilson, um, you know, a bunch of other guys down the line. I mean, you know, it is now, man, they're, they have guys they have guys on this team that redshirted last year that had NIL offers to go to other schools. And they were able to keep all, you know, that battles in their big NIL group. was able to keep a lot of those guys here. That was a big thing. And then identifying some of those key portal guys was just, you know, again, they, they nailed it. And, you know, Keon Coleman's the, to me is the one, and you said he's, he's the difference maker. When you saw him against LSU, none I didn't expect them to really go after him when he became available. Um, I knew they probably needed a receiver, but I didn't feel like they needed a wide receiver. One, I felt like mm-hmm. you had that Johnny Wilson, and I knew there was going to be a ton of other schools. I mean, Keon had 58 catches his last year at Michigan State and a pretty bad offense, so you knew there was everybody was going to want him, and uh, I just didn't think they would be able to get him, and they did, and I was completely wrong. I mean, I, because I didn't realize it would completely change the whole offense, but it really has. And um, so, you know, they've made a lot of really smart moves in the portal. As you said, they have recruited pretty well in the background, even going into this year, I thought last year's class was a good class, even though it wasn't a highly rated class. Um, So, but there is going to be a gap um, where they have to, to, to go back to the portal one more time. I think they're about two years away from really feeling good about not having to go out and get 10 guys in the portal. Maybe, right. maybe down the line, they're, they're one of these teams that can only get, maybe get four or five guys out of the portal. I think this is going to be another year where they probably have to go out and get 10 guys out of the portal. And, um, I don't, I, where I think they might be and we'll see, I mean, this is, you know, the big, the million dollar question, again, it all goes back to quarterback is if you, you know, if, if they're right about their, their backup quarterbacks, and I think they, they really like Brock Len who's a, who's a freshman right now. Um, they also have Tate Rodemaker and AJ Duffy uh, that are right. older. Um, you know, if they if they if they don't feel like one of those guys can get it done, now you have to go in the portal, and that's a gamble, man. These portal yeah. quarterbacks, I mean, you what, what you What's yeah. the success rate on those? I mean, <laughs> well, we
0: ran a stat. The athletic ran a stat today because we we I just finished recording a podcast a little while earlier, a recruiting podcast. Stars matter, um, and and one of our writers, Grace Rayner, was writing a story uh, about just how. I think 25 or, or 24 of the class of 2025 quarterbacks are already committed, um, you know, and how guys are just, the, the process is just speeding up more and more. But there was a stat in her story that I think still sort of tells the story, Ira, which is 57 percent. Max Olsen put this stat in there. Fifty seven percent of the starters at the FBS level this past season were transfers. So you can recruit guys, but ultimately (laughs) who nobody's waiting around anymore, dude. Like, and, and so I I think, you know, you look at, you look at some of the other teams in college football, right. That are having success. Um, I'm going to go through the list. I have a list here of, of, of 11, um, the 11 best um, teams, you know, one loss or uh, in the, you know, unbeaten, Uh, I guess, Georgia has their own guy. Michigan has their own guy, McCarthy, Uh, Ohio state has their own guy. McLeod FSU has a transfer Washington state or Washington has a transfer, right? Um, Yeah. uh, Oregon has a transfer. Uh, Texas technically has a transfer because Quinn Ewers was at Ohio state. Alabama has a homegrown guy. Uh, So that's four, four. Penn state has a homegrown guy. Ole Miss Jackson dart, I think is a transfer. Is he not? I I believe so. Yeah. And then Louisville has a transfer. So five or six rather of the 11 teams that either have one loss or unbeaten and have a legitimate shot of making the playoffs uh, have transfers at quarterback. So I I think, uh, I think, I think the moral of the story is like, it's, it's, it's up in the air now. It's not like the high percentage anymore is homegrown guys.
1: Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, and I think you can't, you know, I think Dabo is completely wrong to take his approach, Mm -hmm. but I also think it's hard to go the other way. I mean, like, you know, Dion's finding out of Colorado. I mean, Bill, yeah. you know, getting a whole team out of the portal. Isn't probably going to be as successful as you hope it's going to be, even no matter how it looked three or four weeks into the season. But um, yeah. yeah, so I think they're going to go, they're going to go back into the portal. Um, a real key is going to be there. There are some really good players on this team again, that I think some people are assuming are going to go. And I just tell people, man, in the NIL era, man, you don't know for sure. Cause if these guys are not going to be sure first yeah. two day picks, I don't know, man. Like if, if you can come up with some real money in the NIL, I don't know. You Is it, is that better than going and jumping into, you know, maybe being a, a third day draft guy? I don't know if that's better, the better answer. So um, that's going to be a big part of it. Um, they, they're going to get hit hard this year between the draft and seniors. Um, but uh, some of these guys who COVID seniors, who finally yeah. will have to leave, they're finally going to have to leave the house. They finally got to go, go, yeah. uh, the but <laughs> yeah. but uh but yeah for, but I think they're they, if they play their cards right and they, and they've done so pretty well so far I don't think they're going to fall off a cliff by any stretch.
0: No, no. I I I don't either. I I would expect maybe they're not a championship team right. but they could very much be a playoff team or a team that reaches the ACC championship something. I was going like to say that.
1: in this ACC I mean yeah. yeah man I mean if if you if, if they're right on their quarterbacks um man, if you got a pretty good quarterback I think there's a good chance You'll you'll be in the running.
0: Yeah, and I th- and it's gonna be interesting what Mario does. I mean, there's been rumors out there they're gonna go out and try to bring Michael Pratt home. He's he's the Miami area guy. He's played at Tulane. That maybe he's he's the guy that they sort of identify in the portal and and you know more of a more mobile quarterback who could throw and make plays with his legs. Uh, maybe that's the better fit. I know from watching Oregon, uh, everybody talks about Justin Herbert and how Mario sort of you know was able to to just take him in. Uh, and and didn't necessarily do a lot with him, but you know, he did, he did win a Pac 12 championship. He did go to the Rose Bowl. (laughs) You know, he's, he had some success there. Uh, and, and I think the other and I didn't mention this earlier, but I think another huge key for Miami has been the offensive line the just rebuilding that I know that was a huge focus for Norvell and you and I agree Ira like if, if Miami and Florida State are ever going to win national championships again, it really does start up front on both sides of the ball because that's yeah. that's what Alabama Ohio State like all of these teams have that that's just and I think Mario's really good at it and Norvell as we've come to learn is really good at it too.
1: Yeah, and I think Alex Atkins, the offensive line coach yeah, he's for Florida huge. State, does a good job too. And He's a really good recruiter. That's kind of the big question now for Florida State when it comes to the offensive line is he's signed some really pretty highly regarded guys, Julian Armella from South Florida. Yeah. Um, he's signed several pretty you know four-star offensive linemen, borderline five-star the last couple of years. And because they've been – I think this year you might have seen some of those guys, mm-hmm. but again, I think when when Florida State went to the offseason the same way they went and got Keon Coleman – I think they didn't have a huge needed offensive line, but they said this could be a special year. We only have Jordan Travis for one more one more season. Let's do whatever we can do. So they went out and got three more offensive line transfers to kind of bolster that group. Yeah, but when you talk about this game, uh, you know, and I know we're talking big picture, but in this game, like that's it's a little bit of a concern for some Florida State fans because that's a it's a solid offensive line, but man, Clemson wore them out. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Clemson's defensive ends, man, just I mean, they couldn't block. Um, you know, one of those guys, uh, Xavier came, Thomas, or yeah, Xavier Thomas. Man, he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was uh, Jeremy Jeremiah Byers, their offensive tackle. He's probably still having nightmares because that kid just yeah. blew him off the edge every time. So this isn't a great offensive line. It's a very experienced offensive line. They're they're competitive. They're not going to have huge busts where Jordan's running for his life, but but going up against elite talent. And I think there's probably some elite talent on that Miami defensive line. That's an area that I think four state may have to scheme around a little bit just to kind of help those guys out. But, um, I was gonna ask you about so big picture with Miami though, like yeah. with, with, with Mario, you know, last year was, you know, obviously such a disappointment and, and you, you, you and I talked about it during the summer that he couldn't believe kind of the state of the program and and kind yeah. of the guys that were in that locker room and man, he cleared house, right?
0: The yeah. 41, 40, 41 40. new faces. Yeah. yeah
1: so so <laughs> he, uh, he, he made some changes there. Um, and, and this year, you know, obviously you can just see it looks different. Like they're mm-hmm. mu- much more competitive together. Even after the Georgia Tech loss, they came back and they've been um, competitive. Is there a patience? You know, like the, I guess that's my thing. When I wa- when I look at yeah. Florida and I look at Miami and I see some of the the frustrations, you know, and that's how fan bases are everywhere. And Florida State fans were the same way in the first two years at Norvell. But like – I I just sat there when I looked at Norvell's situation after the second year. I'm like, guys, relax. I mean, he his first year was a COVID year, and the program was a disaster.
0: Yeah, and then
1: you know the the next year, you know, made some progress, but you know, I just don't understand like the idea of just rotating coaches every couple of years. At some point, you have to stick with one. Is Mario the guy that they'll stick with, <laughs> even if it's even if it is eleven eleven, even if yeah. it is, you know, are there are there is that support going to be there for him? Because I think at some point it can become so negative and toxic that it kind of almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you can't really get out of it.
0: Yeah. I think I'll say this, they sign him to a 10 year deal. I think in large part, not just to, to make him sign the deal, right. You'd give him that job security, <laughs> but I think in large part to, to show that, Hey, the university is making a real investment here. Like we're, we're not, this isn't, you know, promoting Manny Diaz, This isn't promoting Randy Shannon. This isn't like, you know, Larry hey, Joker. right. Like it's, it's, it's different. And, and I think the first sign we saw that was obviously Mark Rick, right? When Miami finally decided like, hey, we're going to go out and get an established coach. And it worked out well for them. And they had good results. I mean, Mark's first season wasn't spectacular. But by the time they were in year two, they were 10-0 and they had a chance at the playoffs. So I, I think the feeling here, though, and, and Mario has made it pretty clear to the administration, I know I have when I've had conversations with them, is you guys have been asleep at the wheel for a long time at Miami. Like the whole private school, we don't have money thing like that doesn't flow anymore in the world of NIL. Like you need to raise money and you need to invest it in the football program. You don't have an on campus stadium. Your facilities are average. You have to upgrade. So to me, like the investment in Mario isn't just an investment in Mario, the person it's an investment in football. And so he's going to be given the keys to this car, I think, at the very least for another three or four years. Now, are they going to be patient in the sense of, hey, we're happy that you went from five and seven to six and six or seven and five? Probably not. I think most people in the administration expect at least eight wins. That's basically what I was told prior to the year. We we can probably win eight games with the roster that we have this year. Um, and so – but they they will hold his feet to the fire in some capacity, I think. I think at the end of this year, they're going to say, hey, you know, take the knee against Georgia Tech next time, you know, like <laughs> make some smarter decisions out there. Why aren't we recruiting better at the quarterback position, et cetera? Um, but, you know, look, the same way you mentioned battles end. Miami's NIL is really healthy. And I know that was a huge question, right? Florida State fans, Florida fans had fun when when John Ruiz got in trouble and the whole yeah. financial thing. They're like, ah, Miami's money's going to run out. And I told you when I saw you yeah. uh, at the ACC Media Days, I said, listen, man, there's a lot of people with money at Miami who give money to this program. It's basically – a-
1: they're not all doing it in the public eye.
0: Exactly. They're like, they're not nearly. And, and the number I was given, I think I gave you this number as well was 85 to 90% of the deals um, are now no longer related to John Ruiz and, and life wallet. So uh, I think that number by the end of this year, uh, by the end of the school year will be over and done with, and it will be Kane's connection and the other NIL groups that, that help fund this all. So, uh, look, the, Miami has the Moss family who gives a lot of money. Moss Tech, who you know builds a lot of things around here, obviously own the MLS team uh, down here as well. So there Miami isn't going to all of a sudden run out of money to be able to to pay some of their best players to stay and not go pro, or pay some of their best players to stick around. I think th- th- there is a support system. Mario has a support system around him that no other coaches had at Miami, and uh, I I think they're going to give him at least enough time to say, hey, all right, you've had three or four years here to recruit, right? You've had three or four years here to build up the roster and, and turn it around. If he starts, if if in, in 2025, you and I are having a conversation about Miami not taking a knee against Virginia and blowing <laughs> it, or you know what I'm saying? Like, if yeah. that's one of those, if we're still having that yeah. conversation, then I'd be worried if I'm Mario Cristobal. But I, I really think he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. And I think eventually you keep recruiting the way he recruits, Ira, you know, I mean, it's it it really still is about the the Jerry's and the Joes, you know, hundred
1: yeah, percent. Yeah, and I heard um, was it Mike on Levitard's show saying that? He said, um, I think it was after the Georgia Tech game. He's like, look, man, Mario's probably going to have some of those moments on game day. Like <laughs> we we Butch knew Davis. that going in.
0: Butch Davis, yeah. think about right. how many bad decisions yeah. Butch made over the hey. years.
1: Hey coach Bowden. I mean, you know, (laughs) we've got to say it quietly, but you know, I mean some of those games that they lost that came down to a kick or shouldn't have right? um, because of time management or uh, other decisions. So yeah, you take the good with the bad, but I guess, you know, if you were talking to somebody and I know you, you, the, one of the, one of the many many reasons I respect you is you call it like you see it. You don't Mm -hmm. take, you know, all day in punches. Um, I know you've been critical of some of the things that have happened there, even this season, but do you feel like, man? They're they're going to at least have talent. They're going to at least be, oh yeah, in, I, within the next year or two.
0: Yeah, I, I, I listen. I, that's why I brought up Lance Gidry in the offensive line. Like to me, those are two staples. Those are two things that I think carry over for years now for the next few years. And and then you really start to see it elevate the rest of the program. To me, the big question I have is quarterback. What is he going to do there? And, and maybe, you know, Shannon Dawson, the right offensive coordinator. I don't know. I want to see what happens here over the next three games. What are his counter punches to teams, you know, rushing three and dropping eight? Is he going to have a counter punch? Is he going to get the tight ends involved? Like all those things I think matter. Um, and but I think as long as Mario has at least one of his coordinators, because you've seen it over the years, Ira, like Mickey Andrews with Bobby, right? Like they had different coordinators over the year on offense. Uh, but Andrews was there with him. You look at Dabo, right, with Brent Venables, like they you you kind of have to have a co partner. You look at Virginia Tech, right, with Bud Foster all those years. Mm-hmm. Like if you have at least one coordinator who you think is like just he, he's a fabric of the program. Mm-hmm. Then you could shuffle guys at other coaching spots and, and just make it work. I, I think right now my I look at the big steps and I say, Yep, yeah, I like offensive line, love what they're doing there. I love what they're doing on the defensive side. Uh, but Mario probably has one more important hire and at least probably a few quarterbacks to go out and get.
1: Right. Yeah. Going into this game though, like I you know, and I don't know if you want to talk more big picture or do you want to well just however you want to yeah. take it. Go ahead, yeah. Well, I mean, I just think you know. Again, this game, like one guy I was going to ask you about, actually, was N- Nigella Kelly. What happened? Is he is he banged he, up?
0: He got hurt. He got he's out for the season. He got lost uh in the North Carolina game. Yeah, they they lost two of their best defensive ends. Akeem Mesidor, uh, got banged up in the second or third game of the year. Hasn't played since. He's out for the year as well. So, yeah, Miami's defensive line should actually be deeper and better than it is right now because Nigelique and and uh, Akeem are two of their best guys. Uh, unfortunately had those injuries and that's kind of why you saw Ruben Bain emerge because right. they needed, they needed to play him. So, uh, you know, Leonard Taylor's had an okay year. I think my, a lot of Miami fans are sort of down on him and saying he doesn't make enough big plays. Um, but, you know, the former five-star guy, uh, you're always going to have that, those high expectations for you. I think he's been solid. I don't know if he'll go pro after this year. I know some people have had him in mock drafts, et cetera. Um, but, you know, again, They've recruited well at that defensive line position. I thought Mario did a good job in the portal this past year. The better job than I thought he did the year before. Um, you know, getting some pieces that that uh that that mattered. Uh, the offensive line, Matt Lee and Javian Cohen. Both of those guys actually still have eligibility. So they can technically come back. Uh I don't know how many centers, you know, go pro early. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Matt Lee and those guys. Uh Javian Cohen at left guard, like yes, he came from Alabama and the whole, and the whole nine, but you know, maybe he gets a really good NIL deal again. And both of those guys come back. And, and so you've got all five starters back on the offensive line. That would be a really, really
1: big coup for them. Um, so and could make, and could make them attractive for a quarterback possibly. I,
0: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would say, you know, I look at it, um, if they're able to get the receivers, you know, the, the some of the commits that they got, they got Nike Har, who's one of the top receivers in the country that they kind of got from Georgia. Um, you know Chance Robinson. I know he's visiting Ohio State this weekend. He's a, he's a solid you know St. Thomas Aquinas kid. They they need more big play receivers and and hopefully Riley Williams takes the next step for them at tight end. Elijah Royal, unfortunately, has been banged up for them all season long. Coming off the ACL, he came back. He got somebody rolled up on him uh, at tight end, and and so they've just been banged up there and not playing well. So there's but th- those are the kind of things I I look at and I say, well, you address in the transfer portal, you address it in recruiting, and hopefully next year it's better, right? Right. Uh, but big picture wise, I, I, I think they're pretty good, they're in pretty good shape.
1: Yeah, do you, uh, in terms of, I guess, uh, offensively, when you look at you know, and again, I know it's hard to know because we don't know what they're going to do at mm-hmm. quarterback. Um, but when you looked at you watched Florida State, some is there anything yeah. you look at where okay, Miami might want to attack them in this way? Is there anything you think Miami needs to do or can do against Florida State's defense?
0: Well, one stat that blew me away, I didn't realize this until I looked at it when I started comparing the teams is Florida State's only given up four touchdown passes all yeah. season uh and they and they've got six interceptions which that's that's a pretty good ratio dude <laughs> like uh you know you you're playing some pretty good pass defense when that's the case and I think um in terms of like passing efficiency defense I'm looking at the numbers here I'm calling up uh on my screen um they're only giving up 6.3 yards per pass uh, opponent QBR their fourth I mean those are some pretty good numbers for that secondary and and really if we're being honest it's not like Jared versus exploded this year either right like right. he hasn't put up any huge numbers so it's not because the pass rush is playing great so I think for me in this game the only way Miami keeps this close is they don't turn the ball over which is something that clearly I told you earlier 19 turnovers on the year uh, they don't turn the ball over and they keep Producing turnovers. The defense has actually been pretty good at that. Miami's forced 15 turnovers this year, which is tied for 31st. FSU, I think, uh, produced only 12. So that is the number one thing. Don't turn it over, even if you're kicking field goals. Um, if your defense is playing solid, holds FSU under 30 points, maybe you have a chance. You know, Maybe you have a chance in the fourth quarter in this game if Tyler Van Dyke figures it out. But I, I would say the key is do not turn the ball over. That has completely devastated this team in every single one of their losses
1: yeah it's funny like if you you look at those numbers and I agree with you I mean I think Florida State's past defense has been good Mm -hmm. um to very good you know I think there's there are times again that I think Adam Fuller is more of a kind of let you throw things underneath sometimes he's not Mm -hmm. necessarily gonna they'll play a lot of man but it's not like they're they're they'll they'll keep safeties back a lot they're not gonna let you beat them over the top too often um so I think there are some Florida State fans, again, especially the the FSU fans who grew up with Mickey Andrews, yeah, who who want to man, they just want to pound the quarterback, pick <laughs> off passes, and, right. and Just you know, and it's press man every play, and and um, you know, I don't, you know, so there's always that standard that people are kind of holding them to. I'm sure, like Miami fans think back to their defenses too, but um. So, but now I think they have been solid and uh, they haven't give up, given up a lot of big plays. And they're, again, I think one thing that's been really good about them is they're very sure tackling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, they, they, you know, they do a good job of rallying to the ball and not giving up a ton of yards um, after contact. Um, well, let me it, ask
0: you this. How much do they still run the counter over there? Cause that, that gave Miami nightmares last year.
1: So not as much <laughs> as last year. So what happened <laughs> is apparently uh, they did such a good job of that last year. that I really think teams have, have, focused on not letting them do that this year um so they they'll still run it um but they haven't been as successful with it Mm -hmm. and some teams have blown it up um right you know whether that's you know crashing from the backside or you know there's just um bringing you know an extra defender there's just teams have really done a good job of of kind of taking that away a little bit so florida state's actually gone they've gone to a lot more than I've seen in the past a little, um, uh, zone running, um, mm-hmm. you know, just inside zone, even outside zone, yeah. um, just to, to counter what what other teams are doing against them. Um, I also don't know if this offensive line is built the way that one was, you know, I, I remember I was talking to one of the Florida States offensive coaches about that game last year where they ran counter like 50 times and, uh, against Miami. And I, and I asked him about, um, during the off season, he said at the end of that game, Dylan Gibbons, Florida States left guard, he said his face mask was like smashed in because of oh, how wow. many collisions he had pulling. And, and, any, you know, after a while some of those defensive linemen are tired of that, man, that's not yeah. especially defensive ends. Like that was one of the keys. You know, he was explaining to me, he's like, defensive ends don't want to deal with that. They want to get up the field. They want to, have to get after the quarterback. They don't want a guard slamming into them play after play after play. And I think that's what happened in that game is I think Miami's defensive line was kind of like, okay, this isn't really fun. And yeah. we're not going to, we can't, we don't have a quarterback and, you know, they just kind of start clearing those running lanes and Trey Benson's is going off. So um, yeah, so it's not as huge a part of their offense this year. Part of it's by what teams are doing part of it's, I don't think they have that same personnel. I, they, right. I, they don't have that kind of smash mouth guy. I think Dylan Gibbons wasn't the best offensive lineman in the world or he'd be in the NFL. He's not, mm-hmm. but he was willing to just put his body on the line uh, on all those plays.
0: You know you I was thinking of something that you messaged me about you, you remember, I remember a couple of weeks ago you messaged me because I was talking about Tyler Van Dyke right. and uh my co host uh, Carlos Leather, was saying how Miami doesn't run any motion, and you explained to me I wanted you to share that with the listeners uh just about you know maybe some philosophy and why Miami doesn't run more motion pre snap to see what the defense is doing
1: yeah, I don't know if it's true or not in that in that case, I just know mm-hmm. that uh talking to um uh, coach Henshaw, who does some articles for us on our site, George Henshaw yeah. was an assistant coach in the NFL for a long time, was on Coach Bowden's staff at one point also. And he said that when he was uh with the Broncos, John Elway didn't like motion.
0: Yeah. Um
1: John Elway super smart, um, obviously, but he didn't like he felt like if the defense was set, he could figure out where to go with the ball. And he didn't like things moving. He didn't like the defense moving as he was getting ready to, to run a play. And he felt like running guys in motion would do that. So um, it was his preference. Now, part of being successful with that, though, was he also had John Elway's arm, you know, inaccuracy. So he didn't need you to kind of get the defense out of position. He didn't need you to get the defense confused. He just needed to see where they were, and he could fire it in there and get it done. Well, Van Dyke's got a strong arm. Um, So I wondered if maybe that was kind of a preference thing where maybe he's a guy that that kind of prefers that. But, you know, I, I don't know for sure.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh they really uh, outside of running uh, one of the receivers in motion to get them close to the tight end or or on the opposite side of the tight end to sort of act like a blocking uh receiver so to speak, you don't see them run a whole lot of motion at all. Um uh, you don't see any orbit, you know, sort of behind the quarterback stuff. Uh it's very like I said, it it seems like the, the entire offense is predicated on throw it to the open receiver and have the tight end stay in and chip block and and you know very rarely involve the tight ends whatsoever and, and it's
1: and I, man, I know Florida State fans can relate because mm-hmm. you know and that was the thing with Jimbo is you know Jimbo's offense was is all about execution and mm-hmm. and so you never saw anybody running free like you never right. saw you never got easy throws mm-hmm. um you know like last week Florida State gets a tight a touchdown to the tight end Marquiston Douglas because he was lined up at left tackle. That the other tackle lined up out wide. So you, he, they lined. Yeah. Yeah. It created the confusion. And now you got a wide open touchdown for 20 yards in a game where you're struggling offensively. And that was always the frustration with Jimbo. It's like, man, can you ever just give the quarterback an easy score or an easy play? And he never would. And, and, you know, I've even heard the Mannings, Peyton and uh, Eli talking on the Manning cast about, there's been some plays when they're watching games where, you know, it's, Third and short, or whatever it is, certain situations where they just they they they'll talk about help the quarterback out, get him an easy pass. Like, don't yeah. make everything be. And it felt like Jimbo it was like the quarterback had to be so good all the time. And when you have Jameis, it worked. Yeah, but they, they, the, the rest of the time it doesn't.
0: Yeah, I was listening to the Mannings this past week, uh, the uh, Chargers Jets game when they brought that thing up. You know, they asked uh Trevor Lawrence, did you you know do you have like a set number of yes. plays that are just that's what and you it was heard a it bunch about? and it yeah. was a bunch. No, I yeah. heard
1: him talking about it last year. But yeah. No, he, he said like 12 or 15 or something. Yeah. Right?
0: for I think it was 14 plays or something. He said, yeah, he said, I got 14 plays essentially that are just sort of help get the offense flowing quick, Great. you know, releases, get the ball out. Uh, and, and again, like I, I, that's why Miami fans like they give they give Tyler Van Dyke a lot of crap and and deservedly so. He hasn't played well the last couple of weeks, but I brought this up on my Wide Right podcast. And again, I know where there's different eras. QBR ratings mean only so much, but if you go and you list every Miami starting quarterback, all the I mean, you go back to the '80s. He's got the second-best QBR in Miami history behind Vinny testaverdi Like, and, and and look, I know it's a different era, but think right. about this, Ira. Like, who, does, who is Tyler yeah. Van Dyke throwing to? Who did Vinny Testaverdi throw to? Okay? <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, yeah. it's a different deal. And and so I don't think Tyler's a bad quarterback. I, I thought, you know, at the beginning of the year, if he has a good year, maybe he's a day-three guy. You know, maybe somebody look takes him, and maybe he's a backup quarterback and eventually gets his shot. But – this isn't, you know, I when Miami fans complain about him and say he's not a good quarterback, I just think he's he's in a rut right now. And so Saturday, Well, and I think that's
1: what and yeah. I think that's what, you know, what Norvell has done a really good job with. It, you know, I was ripping Jimbo for not doing that. Norvell's done a good job with that. Like they'll find some easy throws and things like that to kind of get Jordan going and get the passing game going. Um, but you know, the thing about Van Dyke though, you wonder he feels like you know, like a lament from Florida State fans is a lot of Florida State fans to this day will say, you know what, if Mark Rick had stayed, what was Chris Ricks? What, what would Chris Ricks have been if Mark Rick had yeah. stayed at Florida State? Or if they had this modern football, like what mm. what, what could Chris Ricks have become? Or if he didn't have right. Jeff Bowden as offensive coordinator. So, <laughs> But the problem is that those things all happen. And I think when you look at Van Dyke's career, man – Lashley leaving and then that the coordinator situation oh, last yeah. year was a disaster. Now you go to a different guy this year and it's
0: then he's hurt for two it, of those years too. Right, <laughs> it feels
1: like he hasn't gotten a chance, but, but also that's not the fans problem. You know, no. like they're, they also, you know, I don't know. Can you get out of that? You know, can you, Jordan come, you know, Jordan came through it. I mean, he, two years, he'll talk to about the time he was getting booed two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, you can come out of it, but I, it feels like the odds are probably against you. Like, I wonder, do you think Tyler might go somewhere else next year?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's been a topic of conversation. Some people have thought maybe he'll go reunite with Lashley at SMU. I mean, SMU's got two pretty good quarterbacks right. on their roster. They're, they're doing fine. Uh, maybe he goes <laughs> home to Connecticut. I don't know. I don't know where he goes. Um, but that's why I'm saying, like, to me, we do the wrap-up of Miami at the end of this year. We're going to be talking what happens at quarterback. We're talking about better offensive line and a better defense. And, and, you know, two out of three, ain't bad in year two. If if you, if he could have hit on all three, then maybe Miami is eight and one going into this game, you know, or, 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 and we, and we have a, you know, a very high national profile game that we're covering on Saturday. It just didn't work out that way.
1: So, yeah, I mean, from my standpoint, it's been interesting to hear you talk about it. Cause a lot of us wonder what's going to happen with Billy Napier, what's going to happen with Mario Yeah. to me, from what you're saying, Florida State fans need to get rid get get used to the idea of Mario Cristobal being there for a while
0: yeah. until
1: it just doesn't work. Maybe a few years down the road, right? I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, I think not, there's not going to be more turnover there anytime soon.
0: I I don't think so. I mean, maybe there's some turnover on the staff in terms of some coaches that come and go. I think Mario's sort of infamous for that anyway. You know, every year he kind of gets rid of a couple of assistants and and there's there's a bit of turnover in that regard. But I think I think right now uh, they're going to pay Lance Gidry what he wants to keep him here and and I think my like I said, I think Miami's got a good defensive coordinator. Um I think they got a guy that fits the the, the landscape of the kind of players they can get. Um and and I think the offensive line has gotten so much better, dude. Like it's, it is a legitimate, he has got some dudes up there. Like Maui go is no joke. He is one of the best. He's going to be one of the best offensive linemen in the country soon. Um, and, and look, they did a good job in the portal. I, they, they're going to probably get some more offensive linemen just because once guys see that they want to go play for coaches who produce that. Right. So, um, I think those are two huge staples for them. Um, I guess I'll flip it to you. I know I kind of made the joke before the season when you and I were hanging out at the uh, ACC uh, party way upstairs in Charlotte
1: when you were trying to get me to dance like Brian Kelly.
0: Yeah, when I was trying to get you to do the Brian <laughs> Kelly video, uh, that was that would have been great. By the way, I, I still dream <laughs> about that. I want to see you do do the whole uh, you know the eye yeah. thing. Um, but I, I kind of joked with you guys up there. I said, hey, you know, how long do you think Florida State's gonna be able to hang on to Norvell because? And we're like, well, let's see him get past Clemson first. Let's see what, you know, and, and, but now this is serious, you know, and uh, I'm not saying Florida state, uh, you know, who knows what happens with their future. Maybe they end up in the sec one day, maybe the big 10 comes calling. I don't know what's going to happen. That's an entirely different conversation you and I can have with that, but he's gotta be a hot coach right now. And Florida state, if they stay in the ACC, they're going to be at a disadvantage, right, in terms of just what they can pay their assistants compared to Big Ten schools and SEC schools. What do you think happens with Novo? I know he just got a raise. He's making a lot of money. Do you think he's going to have the kind of support system he needs to keep the kind of staff together, to keeping Alex Atkins, to, to keep Florida State on the, on the path they're on right now?
1: I think they gave him like a dollar more than Mario. Yeah, just to make very, that point, no, just, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, they couldn't have the cheapest or uh, lowest paid head coach in Florida anymore. Um, yeah, man. I, I think there's two or three ways to look at it. Okay. Number one, um, from a money standpoint, um, Florida State is because they desperately want to get out of this conference yeah. and they desperately want to be in either the SEC or the Big Ten or if things get shaken up to where there's a, whatever, some new model, yeah. they want to be there. right? They're they're going to go broke getting there if they have to. So they're not going to, like the difference between now and, you know, when maybe Jimbo wanted, you know, his, his mansion, a football facility, and, and they were kind of like trying to make rational business decisions about money and being responsible with their money. That is gone, dude. Like they are, Florida State is going to do whatever they have to do, to be good in football, so <laughs> that whenever there's some new reckoning, or if they if there's a chance to get out of this conference, they're going to be there. They were they were afraid, frankly, that if they had a few more years of being 500, that they wouldn't get the call. Right. So you know whether it's a Big Ten, or SEC, or something else, they just want to be positioned for that. So so money is not going to be a big issue. I mean, I think right. if if Norvell came to them next year with an offer from somewhere else to get 10 million a year, I think they would they'd match it. Like they're not going to. There's, they're, they are pot committed, man. Like they, you can't raise them out of this pot. They're not going to walk away. Um, So, from that standpoint, I wouldn't concern that. The other side of it, though, is, you know, he's got his own visions, you know, and what he wants to do and and what his opportunities are. So, um, you know, I, my impression from him from two things one is, I think he, he does have a passion for Florida State and what Coach Bowden built here. And, um and we can you know roll our eyes at that and 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 some people are going to you know just whatever all coaches are mercenaries and yeah. to some degree that's probably true but i never thought Jimbo Fisher was tied to Florida State yeah Jimbo if he could have left he wanted to go to LSU the two years before he went to Texas A&M so right. both of those years he would have left Norvell i think is different so as long as they're committed to him and giving him everything he wants i think he appreciates the fact that Florida State has some unique qualities. There's there's some things going for Florida State, being in the Sunshine State, being in a city with FAMU. Um, there's a lot of good reasons to want to be in the state capital. There's a lot of good reasons that this is a good job that I don't think some coaches appreciate Jimbo. I don't think appreciate it, but I think Norvell does. Um, having said that, though, yeah, I man, there's probably a couple of jobs in college football that any coach would be thrilled. I mean, LSU to me is always the job. I, I understood why Jimbo yeah. wanted that job because you own that state. Yeah. And you get, it's an incredible talent and you get it all. Like if there's a kid in that state that you want, you're getting that kid. They're not letting that kid leave. Um, so there's a couple of jobs out there like that, um, that I could see, you know, down the road, maybe they would come after him. Um, but to me in the short term, I, he's not a guy. I don't think um, he's a guy that's, that's just about like the prestige because he could have left Memphis a couple of years before he left. Like he had opportunities I believe Arkansas and a couple other jobs came up and they were much bigger than Memphis, but he wanted to wait and, and and find the right big job. So I don't think that's a big issue as far as assistant coaches go. I, I don't think they're going to lose them because of money. They're paying Alex Atkins really well. Adam Fuller is getting paid really well. They could lose guys who just get better opportunities. You know, right. Atkins we're is up. a guy that F- FSU fans are very concerned about. Alex Atkins because he feels like he could be a potential head coach. Yeah, um, and he also had NFL teams looking at him last year for an offensive line coach so you know he's upwardly mobile um and and it may not even be about salary it may just be you know he needs to go do a new thing but but otherwise man i don't think money's going to be the issue um so i think that i think they could be pretty locked in here unless something happens and they can't keep committing to football right. then yeah man orville's going to look out for himself
0: yeah it's going to be interesting uh and and now that we go to the 12 team playoff i mean if you think about it I mean, and the ACC does this different revenue sharing system where you're rewarded for postseason. Um, I mean, FSU's in a good, really good position to still make a lot of money, even if it's not SEC or Big Ten money. It's more than everybody else in the ACC, and if the ACC is winnable every single year, an automatic, you know, trip to the playoff. Why would they not
1: want that, right? Dude, that's the thing that I—that's I've always be careful what you wish for. I mean, I get it, yeah. and the money is so big now. You know, like ten years ago, when Florida State fans were all ranting, they wanted to get to the Big tw- They want to get out of the uh, the, the ACC. The big Twelve's paying more, or whatever. I just, you know, or the, you know, if you, the dream was to get in the SEC, it's like, yeah, man. Like, we'll see how much Oklahoma and Texas like that. You know, I mean, it's it. Yeah. You can't. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, there, there, there's there those those programs put a lot more money and resources and have better talent bases then most of the schools in the ACC, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and when you've got to be in that week after week after week, it. but you go to a 12 team playoff though, on the flip side, now maybe you can get in with two losses. Right. So it's not the end of the world if you lose a couple of games. So I, I see the merits of both sides. The problem though, is, you know, again, man, if you, if you get to where, you know, those schools are getting 30 or $40 million a year more, I just think Florida state is, is, is completely desperate to get out. Even if they don't, win 11 games a year in the sec they just they they need it financially they feel like
0: yeah i i understand money money talks i will say though just from a competitive standpoint it's funny i did that you know piece on miami and and florida state potentially going to the sec back in you know before they left for the acc before fsu first left Mm -hmm. and uh I, i remember just talking to a lot of people who were like saying essentially like could florida state and miami even really deal with that week in week out of playing in the SEC could they physically survive and I know Miami Florida state fans don't want to hear this but I think it's fair to question that maybe Miami and Florida state don't win national titles if they're not in the conferences that they ultimately chose to go to like <laughs> does Miami do what it does in the Big East without yeah. the Big East does Florida state I, yeah.
1: you I know I feel like I feel like Florida state um could have probably done it in the 90s I feel like Miami could right. have done it back in the day maybe But no, man, it's, it's, there's no question, dude. It's uh, it's, I mean, the thing is it's, it's, and and then you get the other side of it, which is so much as perception and, and Mm -hmm. we're getting it right now. Like we're getting it right now. Florida state's undefeated and people are already starting to kind of throw things out there. Well, you know, if Alabama beats Georgia, Yeah. you know, they only have one loss and it would be in, in, in now if they, you know, they beat Georgia. Is that, so, you know, I, the, it's become, it's like, it's just a, it's it feeds itself, the SEC and the narrative. And, it, and and when you're the schools that aren't in that, you feel desperate to kind of be in it because yeah. you feel like, you're screwed if you're not.
0: Yeah. I think, I think these first couple of years of the 12 team playoff are going to be really interesting. And it's quite obvious to me that the, the conference that really doesn't deserve to be in the conversation, but has the most money is the big 10. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is you and I know football, like how many of those big 10 teams are really worth a shit. Ironic, really, like, no. I
1: mean, and that's why that's why I'm not real fired up if that's where Florida State ends up going. Because yeah, yeah, man, I'm all about you know going to these SEC cities. I'm mm. not real fired up about going to Bloomington, Indiana, or <laughs> bringing Purdue into Tallahassee. Yeah, or I mean, yeah, the money will be great, but that's not going to be any better than the ACC.
0: No, it really uh, isn't. I mean, outside of Ohio State and. uh
1: Penn State and Penn,
0: and Penn State, Michigan. I mean, I know they've added Oregon and 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 USC and whatnot, but I I just don't see the Big Ten expanding anymore. I think they've kind of like, when do you get too big, right? Like, when is it too big? Mm-hmm. I think the SEC is probably the one that if if they wanted to, and I don't, who knows if they even really want to. All right, at this point, sixteen teams. You got Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, do you need Florida State? Do you need a North Carolina? Do you need a Miami? Probably not. Right? Like, you can you'll be just fine without them. Uh, and you're probably putting them at a disadvantage by not inviting them to the party. So
1: Right, right. And that's where I think that if you're a Florida State fan or Clemson fan, you're you're hoping the Big Ten is interested in expanding because then that yeah. might put pressure on the SEC to do it. Right, right. Um,
0: because I think, otherwise,
1: yeah, why I, would that? My prediction
0: is the Big Ten will get there when none of their teams win any national titles, even with the 12-team playoff. I think once they realize we're going to need a team from down south to join the conference, to help elevate us to championship level, Mm -hmm. I think that's when they'll make that kind of a decision. Because I I just don't think uh, USC, with the way Lincoln Riley runs things, I mean, maybe Dan Lanning with Oregon, maybe they're the the team that turns the corner. Um, But you just look at that Big Ten, it's like, I don't know, Michigan doesn't do it for me, Ohio State. They're like the one team that really has won. So, uh, yeah, it's – it's an interesting conversation to have. All right, I've had fun, man. We've talked for a long time. Is there anything yeah,
1: else? <laughs> any <laughs> any other topic we didn't cover? Talk about recipes. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know,
0: dude. I uh, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. and three uh, thirty kickoff ABC. I'll be driving over with Susan Degnan from Jacksonville. I'm giving her a ride
1: over. Uh, um, so so uh, you're driving over with, with Susan from Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she flying up there.
0: She's flying in, and then I'm I'm driving from my parents' house. I'm picking her up on the on the way. So.
1: All right, man, watch those speed traps on the way on I 10. Um, so I'm <laughs> saying 33 to or 31 to 14. 31 14. Did you, did, you, did you make a pick yet? I I I
0: I think something similar. I'll I'll probably go with like I think Miami's defense will play well. Um the offense might give up a touchdown. So maybe it's uh 27 16, something like that, 27 14, something around there. Very similar to your score. I don't I just don't think offensively, I don't see Tyler getting out of it. I think uh, they'll do some things to make them look better, but I don't know that, that it'll be enough. So,
1: Well, thanks, man. This is uh, probably the more cordial Florida State-Miami conversations you right? can find on the internet. So, <laughs> It I was fun, Ira. Looking forward man. to seeing you, man. All right, brother.